When I like to work and focus, I close my door, make my room dark, and then go on YouTube and write lo-fi hip-hop. And that's the music I generally use when I try to focus. What you're currently hearing is a lo-fi hip-hop song made by an artificial neural network. And this particular hip-hop song was done by a neural network done by the Magenta team, which is a team focusing on creative projects on AI by Google. And this algorithm uses several things. So when the melody, the piano, which you just heard in the song, is generated by a neural network called Music Variational Autoencoder, which was trained on MIDI songs, where the input is MIDI and the output is also MIDI. And over time, it, you, it learned what music is, and they just sampled the latent space for new variations and just sampled piano melodies out of it. Uh, interestingly enough, the generation of music is quite an old problem. The first music piece was generated back in 1957. And for me, it's very interesting how did they manage to generate music on the computers that have one megabyte or even less than one megabyte or one kilobyte of memory. And of course, it, they, generate, they didn't generate sounds, they just generated music notes and then the humans would play it on violins. But okay, do you know how they did it before the neural network existed? So when we talk about old school AI, we are generally referring to expert systems. In essence, you could say these expert systems are just a huge collection of if statements, but I think that's also with modern neural networks, you can consider them as a huge set of if statements. No, but generally with, um, with expert systems, you define the rules and then, and then either with some genetic algorithm, you could generate music from it. So more specifically, you would give him a set of chords and maybe set of rules like, like some chord progressions or certain things like how many beats there are in, in the song, different drum patterns, and the algorithm would use that information in a way to generate new music. So that's like what it was done in like the older days. Since then, we progressed a lot and we don't even need to give this prior knowledge of how music works. We just either give it raw sound or even just the MIDI, and it will then help you generate whatever you would like to generate. So now everything is based mostly on deep learning and uh, different variations of neural network. And as I understand, the general idea is that neural network can approximate those rules that you just said are expert system by listening huge amount of music. Uh, and uh, there is different variations of architectures that are used for generating music. I think one of the most popular are autoencoders. Yes, yeah, so until recently, autoencoder approaches were the best. I mean, autoencoders, when we say autoencoders, we're referring to variational autoencoders more specifically, where the encoder and decoder will be either a recurrent neural network or a convolutional network. 
But nowadays we've seen that transformers are just good at everything. Basically, all papers nowadays use transformers and they say, oh, the previous method we use versional decoders. Now we are using transformers and we see huge benefits in our in our music generation. It's mainly autocoders, but with transformers encoding the information. And I think it's important to state that uh generation of music is already not in a just scientific papers. We already see successful companies that make business for themselves selling generated music. For example, Project Aiva, artificial intelligence, visual artist, their business model is to generate soundtracks for your videos. Maybe if you want to change the soundtrack for our podcast, maybe we'll use their uh, project. They generate quite good music that sounds like classical music, like orchestral music. And maybe we will provide a sample here or we will keep a link in the description. Now, when we talk about music generation, we have to distinguish like how we generate the music. We hear these impressive songs played on the piano, but it's not the eye really playing the piano. It's actually just playing MIDI sounds. But there are projects where instead of using MIDI, they're working on direct audio. We, I think we've mentioned it every episode so far, this company. Do you know which, which project I'm referring to, Bogdan? One and only, OpenAI. <laughs> <laughs> so OpenAI did the project, I think, last year ago or two years ago, time flies by. They trained the fancy variational encoder, which is called Vector Quantified Variational Encoder. It's, I'm not gonna now go now into detail, but I, I would like, I gladly would nerd out about such algorithms. But with this algorithm, they, they took raw audio, they sampled it in the auto encoder, get the latent value, and then from the latent value, they could generate or continue the song. So you could sample it, you say, okay, here's 10 seconds of Beatles, and then the rest of the song will generate it by AI. There are a lot of videos on this, here a little sample of it. So impressive thing about Jukebox that it generates not just music in terms of instrumental music, let's say, but also it tries to generate auto vocals. As, as we heard, vocals in a song, of course, they are still not perfect, but give it again a few years, we maybe will have completely generated vocals. And the style, so you, in a Jukebox, you have, if I remember correct, 10 styles or use it, you can generate sonics for, for the given style. Indeed. So what they would encode extra to the raw audio, they would also encode some meta information about the song. So that would be maybe the genre, but also maybe the artist and stuff like this. But there is a little drawback to Jukebox. It cannot be done in real time, it cannot be interactive, because it takes nine hours to generate one minute of song. 
yeah, especially if you don't have the infrastructure of OpenAI, <laughs> hundreds of GPUs, maybe it's not viable to generate uh, so many sample points. Yes, that's indeed a big issue with this. So far, we talk about like generating music as a, as a whole song, but there is the other approaches uh, where people create completely new noises. I think you mentioned already uh, Gul Magenta team, and they have their project where they combine already existing sounds. So you can take a sound of flute and, for example, guitar, and you can, with the help of their algorithm, you can combine it in completely new flute-tar sound. Yes, so Magenta team have been, in the beginning, they were focusing on generating music with MIDI sounds, and now they're entering the realm of generating raw audio sounds, like synthesizers, so to say. And one of the projects, they actually took it further. They made their own synthesizer called Nsynth, which you can actually buy is a small device where they trained a GAN for on different sounds. And that GAN can then interpolate between sounds and also generate new sounds, which you never heard before. And it can allow artists and musicians to play unique sounds, which otherwise would take hours to recreate. So the normal way to make electronic music, for example, is that you would get a synthesizer or a virtual synthesizer, play with the parameters in order to create a particular sound. This project tries to democratize sound engineering and sound design, where anybody can just play, just moving around in the latent space of this GAN in order to generate any sound they would like. As you said, like the flute guitar. <laughs> Adrian, you, I know that you are writing music uh, as your hobby. What do you think? Does this AI-generated music bring uh, danger to people that working in musical in, uh, industry? Is it possible that in future, when these uh, algorithms will be perfected, that they will replace people in music industry? We have seen a big democratization of music in, in the recent years. If it's good or bad, I generally think it's slightly bad. Yes, so like certain livelihoods might be affected by this. Some are not affected at all. Like one big example is you, you just say Spotify. Before people were making money through labels record and selling CDs. Nowadays it's all online. Not so many people are buying Vinlay and CDs anymore. So you're seeing already big changes in the music independent of AI. And AI is just going to explain further push this. But on the other hand, I think like making music accessible to people who don't have so much experience allows them to be creative because at the end of the day, AI is a tool. It's not a human. So it will allow people to be more creative in that regard, Re explore ideas. It's In the end, AI is really a tool of exploration and not a tool to like replace anyone for now. Composition is one thing, but another world of music, which I briefly talked about, is like Spotify. And they actually also use AI in all of their projects. So the main product of Spotify is actually the recommend assist. 
not only paying a fixed amount to listen to any music you want, but also this recommend system based on the music you're listening, recommend you music which you like and like to enjoy. What they do is they actually extract features from the music. Some more extract like breathness of the song, but something more objective like this, the beats per minute of the song, which is a way to measure the speed or the tempo of a certain song. A lot of these techniques are inspired from other worlds. So one AI application which is used in voice is called voice diarization. Which is the art of separating a audio into the different speakers. So if we both are speaking at the same time, this algorithm which would manage to separate each voice channel for us automatically. So it could identify every single speaker using the audio from one audio source. This same technique is actually used to separate instruments in the songs. This allows for Spotify to extract more meaningful features because you can separate the voice from the maybe from the drums and the different like on uh, for the bass. You can then better identify the genre of the music, but also find patterns of let's say of of a particular genre in order to give better recommendations. So like in metal, it's it's quite hard from the raw audio to distinguish, but based on the drum pattern of a metal song, you can quickly identify that's metal and not, let's say, house music. <laughs> I just want to add to recommendation systems. The, they are great, but what I feel, especially on Spotify, I'm listening to the music very often. Uh, I feel that it creates bubble around you of recommendation where it recommends you basically same stuff that you are already listening. So, for example, I'm listening metal and I, I just get recommendations of different variations of metal, but it's harder to explore something new when these recommendations tools are so precise, they don't give you something that you may or may not like, they just give you something that very likely you will enjoy. I would agree and had the same experience with Spotify for a while, but I've found a way to break out the bubble. What I do is I don't only like songs, but I also use the dislike function. So this allows Spotify to break me out of the bubble because it's like, yeah, I like songs, but I don't like every song in this genre. Don't give me every metal song out there. I would like to explore something else. By giving also negative feedback, it allows the recommender system to get better recommendations. This is actually a very common problem, what you're actually talking about. I'm not exactly what's the right term, but it's something regarding that you're getting only positive feedback. And by giving only positive feedback, it's hard to give very good recommendations because of this bubble effect, right? You enter this bubble and you cannot get out because you don't have any negative feedback in order to push you a bit out. This is a problem which most companies are suffering. So I would say Apple Music, Spotify, all those companies have the same issue because not everybody's giving negative feedback. Uh, and I think it's generally people are less interested in giving negative feedback. It's something human psychology that People don't like to give negative feedback. They would give positive feedback, but more rarely negative feedback. In some cases, they give negative feedback when it's really bad recommendations. But if it's like, okay-ish, people will still 
not just not give a feedback. In the future, I think we can get this feedback implicit. So with the rise of Apple Watches or in general wearables and IoT, it's getting easier and easier for these companies to get biometrical data, like your heart rate, different kind of things like your stress level, how alert you are, stuff like this. And based on that, you can already get physical feedback and then the AI doesn't even need to ask your opinion, like, did you like it or not? It already can read it from your sensors. Now, whether this is going to happen because of privacy, <laughs> it's hard to tell, but the possibilities are definitely there. And there's also research on using biometrical data to prove recommendations in music. I see it as a very nice uh, use case to create ambient sound around you based on your biometrics. So in the case of smart house, you enter, you wake up, it gives you wake up music, you come from work, it gives you distress music and all automatically created based on your preferences, based on feedback, implicit feedback from you and feedback from your wearable technologies. So you have whole atmosphere uh, suited uh, for you. And it would be connection of Internet of Things, wearable technologies. Maybe we can even go one step even further. And these neural networks, it can learn all the music of an artist and it can learn how to generate new music which that artist could have produced. Let's take an extreme example. Beatles are not here anymore and there won't be any new Beatles songs but we have a huge collection of their songs and their past songs, which we can maybe pass to the neural network, learn the essence of it, and then we could let an AI generate new songs. So I think the future might be not only personalization of the music, it's going to be like personalization on the individual level. Like, oh, I'm generating a song for you as I'm speaking, which you really might like. So <laughs> basically replacing the role of humans in the music generation. But that's like... I guess, like Black Mirror episode. <laughs> but uh, there are several projects that are aimed on capturing style of one specific artist. For example, uh, Yamaha, they made a project called Glenn Claude as AI. Glenn Claude is extraordinary pianist. He had very unique style. And they, in Yamaha, they wanted to capture it. So they analyzed a lot of performances and they encoded his style and they made the piano and they attached a, a AI system to it, to play it, to, to capture it. And it come very close to his style and uh, uh, people actually enjoyed it. And there was people that knew Glenn Claude and listened to him and they listened to the AI performance and they said that it's exactly as him. So we would go to theaters and we would have a piano with a hologram <laughs> and enjoy a virtual concert. The idea of virtual performance or virtual artists is already explored in Japan. For example, Hitsune Miku is very popular virtual performer, a singer, and people really enjoy it. It's also, uh, there is a software behind it. It's called Vocaloid. Now, I think people behind Vocaloid just released Vocaloid AI. And as uh, their 
a demo for the capacity of this tool. They captured a style and performance of a legendary artist, uh, Hibari Misora. She was the Japanese vocalist, and I think it was the last year for 30th anniversary of her death. Uh, they made they made a performance where they generated her vocals with Vocaloid AI and also generated like hologram of her. So it was a live like a live concert of this AI system. For one side, it's like uncanny valley. It feels a bit weird having AI having a big effect on on this art of music. On our side, I think it's also great that you can relive or at least be very close to relive a moment like an artist which is not there anymore and feel as the, this connection of artists and audience, which normally you don't have nowadays. I, I mean, okay, I can see a potential in that regard. I just know how I don't know how I should feel it. Positive, bad. It's still very, I'm very confused with my emotions, Bogdan, help me. <laughs> yes, uh, uh, there's a lot of stories that, you know, mu musical recording labels are not the most moral people in the world. There's stories how they trick artists into signing contracts that are not very beneficial of them, taking credit for artist work and other. So with this tools, it would be, death is not escape for the artist because they will have a right to use the likeness and voice forever. So it's again, as always, with uh, new technologies, the legality of that and morality need to be analyzed on case basis because it's hard to say instantly, is it good or is it bad? So we briefly talked about NSYNTH, which is this neural synthesizer by Magenta. And there's also other projects similar to this, like the Galaxy Synth, which is a synthesizer done by Half of Noise. Similar concept in that regard. And synthesizers is one part, like how do you generate the sound? Then MIDI notes, also done the NBI, like what notes do you play with those sounds? And one of the steps is also compensation. So how do you combine these sounds together? And again, the answer is the same. You use transformers and autoencoders and recurrent networks to do the compositions of the song. But there's one more step, which is called mixing or sound mastering, which is the art of making the sounds sound well, sound equal. So if I, if I produce a song, and I want to play the song on a headphone or on a TV. It should sound as good as possible on all of these devices. So the art of mastering is making the sound sound good in all devices and all mediums, but also that all the sounds sound equally well. So I don't want the bass overwhelm maybe the vocals, or I don't want the oak vocals overwhelm the drums because then I don't hear the drums. So this is like this art of balancing. Now, normally how you do it is you, in the old days, you made the song, you send it to the sound engineer. He has this huge room with a lot of buttons and the dials, and he will then not, he will make the mastering of the song. He could charge you from the cheapest would be maybe $500 up to several thousands to master the song. 
this became cheaper and cheaper. And nowadays, even companies which make automatic sound mastering, which is, especially for certain genres, is actually more than what most people ever need. Yeah, it's maybe not good as human level, but it's getting very close to it and which will reduce the, let's say, the money investment artists need to have in order to be able to publish those songs. The reason I mention this is to talk about how artists will make money in the future. They're going to make a song, they make the sound mastering. How do you think will the publishing will be now in the future, considering that AI might be a more important factor? I think recent development made it easier for people to publish their songs. We saw how many people become famous because of SoundCloud. If people are provided with tools to make their to improve the quality of their songs, to to help them find their styles, generate their sounds, I think people will be able to produce better quality and publish easier, and it will diversify, create more different content for different people. Because now when the music, now and in back, back in the days where the music label had to decide what they want to produce, what they want to push, they would go, you know, with the safe choice, with mainstream, they wouldn't risk with anything. But if people have the tools to make a whole music productions by themselves, then everybody can try themselves in becoming an artist. And I think it's a great opportunity uh, and cutting out the middleman. This is already happening and it will further push as you described. My only concern is that in the end of the day, people are going to listen to, in the future, in one of the main platforms. So they are going to listen on YouTube, Okay, maybe also SoundCloud, Spotify, and so on. In order to find those songs, they're going to maybe discover them through the recommender system. Now, here's my issue. Who controls those recommender systems? Yeah, not the labels, but now the labels are basically these companies, the SoundCloud, the Spotify. Unintentionally, they're more or less controlling what songs are going to play to what which people. Now, this is could be seen as a bias because you're not giving everybody a fair choice. Some popular songs are going to get pushed more. I don't know exactly how you deal with this unfairness of if this even considered unfairness at all. Yes, it's exactly. It's a richer, rich gets richer problem where the popular songs get more listens and those that don't get listens don't, don't get new listeners. I think at least with the technologies that we have, everybody can try to start their platform. Of course, there is how to compete with iTunes, Apple Podcast, but sometimes some independent apps that are tailored for specific genre may have a chance, I would say. I guess a good way to end this episode is to... Let I play an outro song for us. Do you agree? <laughs> Nick, and let's make this 10 hours so we have 10 hour podcast. <laughs> <laughs>